All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast. Thanks for tuning in. NFL free agency madness is kind of starting to wind down a little bit, so that'll... uh, I mean, there was one more thing that happened since my last episode, and we'll get to that today for sure in terms of the Tyreek Hill trade. That's right. Chiefs number one wide receiver going to Miami. We'll get to that later in this episode, but since most of the NFL free agency has kind of started to wind down the draft. We'll, I'll be able to start talking about that a little bit more in coming episodes, but today it allows me to get into some of the other topics that I want to talk about, including the NBA with the season winding down. I think there are about maybe seven, six, seven games left for a lot of these teams in this uh, NBA season, so we'll see where we're at. We'll talk about a team that I think is not getting talked about enough this season in the NBA, so we'll talk about that. MLB, I want to talk about the the lockout and kind of what uh, and one big thing that stood out to me that I've seen that that I think players were definitely trying to get uh, changed in their favor. I'm not it, from what it looks like this off season, it had it didn't go the way the players were hoping, and and you'll see what I mean when I get to that. We're down to the final four in March Madness as well, and we'll talk about the four teams that are left. We'll just briefly go over those. I think it's just written in the stars on who the champion is going to be this year. I don't know how we all didn't see it. My brackets are already done. I believe I have no points left to get. I was stuck at around like 400 points total on what I could get. So my brackets have been done for a while. You know what? That's very relaxing. You can just sit back and watch March Madness, watch these Elite Eight games, most of the Sweet 16 games as well, and just relax and not worry about who the winner is going to be. It's very calming. A lot of people should try having really horrible brackets. Maybe on an off year or something like that. You know, just enjoy the games for what they are. But all right, so that's uh, that's what we'll get into a little bit here today. And we'll start with the NBA season as it winds down here. And one thing that I kind of want to talk about is why no one is talking really about the Phoenix Suns. I mean, they are the number one team in the NBA by a mile. The only time that they recently just got talked about is they just had a nationally televised game against the Denver Nuggets, which they won, which allowed them to then clinch the best record in the NBA. They've already clinched the best record in the NBA. They have 61 wins, 14 losses only. I mean, the next closest is the Memphis Grizzlies with 52 wins. But all the talking heads on TV that you see between all these different shows, a lot of the the big topic points in the NBA right now are not about the Phoenix Suns, who are clearly the number one team in the NBA as what it looks like. They've missed some of their stars throughout the season. Chris Paul has missed significant time between 15 and 20 games. Some of their other big-time players, DeAndre Ayton, I think Devin Booker has missed a few games, not many, but a few. But so, like, why are all these stories and talking head shows that I'm talking about discussing the Brooklyn Nets? They're in ninth in the Eastern Conference right now. That's in the play-in tournament. The Lakers, they're in 10th in the play-in tournament which means they have to win two games just to get into the regular playoffs. They're actually on the verge of missing the playoffs. The Philadelphia 76ers, they're fourth in the Eastern Conference. They're barely hanging on to home court advantage in the first round of the playoffs. In the top three MVP candidates right now, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Nikola Jokic, none of them are in the top two in their conference standings even. The Bucs are in third in their conference standings. The Celtics, I'm sorry, the 76ers are in fourth, which I just mentioned, 
and the Denver Nuggets are in sixth. They're just on the verge of the play-in tournament in seventh, yet these are the three that are talked about as the top three MVP candidates. Where's the love for Devin Booker in this MVP conversation? I mean, he's averaging 26.5 points per game. That's ninth in the NBA. That's more than Nikola Jokic. He's got five, he averages five rebounds, five assists per game, and he's on the best team by a wide margin. I mean, I get why they're talking about the Brooklyn Nets. They traded for Ben Simmons. Kyrie Irving now gets to play in home games with the vaccine mandate kind of gone away for uh, athletes in terms of playing indoors, which, I mean, makes sense with with what some of their mask mandates have have gone down as well. So, I, I mean, the Brooklyn Nets, but the number one, but the stories with them are, do they have a fighter's chance in the Eastern Conference? They are ninth in the Eastern Conference. We're not even sure if they're going to be playing in the playoffs. The Lakers, that's the same thing with the Lakers. They're 10th in the West, and they're like, if they can make it to the playoffs, it doesn't even look like they're going to get past the first play-in game. But they're still talking about, do you like their chances if they make it to the playoffs? Why aren't we talking about Devin Booker and the Suns? This team was in the finals last year. I mean, I don't understand why Devin Booker and the Suns are not being discussed like these like these other teams, like the 76ers. I mean, they're fourth in the East. They're struggling with the acquisition of James Harden. They've had their great games, and then they've had their poor games as well. I mean, Chris Paul is only averaging like 15 points per game and has missed 15 games, crucial ones, down the stretch here as well. And now one thing that, that people like to bring up in the uh, – it's, it's a lot of stats-driven, you know, with, with, with the MVP these days. It, and to me, it just seems like it's gotten away – from best player on the best team kind of thing. And one of the things is PER, which is player efficiency rating. Devin Booker ranks 24th in player efficiency rating. Number one is Nikola Jokic. Number two is Giannis. Number three is Joel Embiid. Those are their top three MVP candidates right now, according to a lot of articles that you read, a lot of MVP voters that you read from. But if you're if you're just taking it off of this, which I'm sure they're not, I'm hoping they're not, there's a guy named Brandon Clark from Memphis. He averages only 19 minutes a game. He is ninth on the PER scale. He is ahead of guys like Luka Doncic, DeMar DeRozan. I mean, he's ahead of, I mean, there's a guy right here. I believe it's Isaiah Harnstein, a center for the Los Angeles Clippers. He averages 17 minutes per game. And he is 21st on this PER ranking scale. You know who that's ahead of? Steph Curry. That's ahead of Jason Tatum, who has been lights out down the stretch here in this NBA season. That's ahead of Devin Booker, like I just mentioned. So if if PER is really what we're going to be looking at, you're telling me Brandon Clark, a power forward for Memphis who averages less than 20 minutes per game, has a better is a better player is is something that you're going to take into a heavy consideration in over Luka Doncic, who has the Dallas Mavericks as the number four seed in a very tough Western Conference right now. I mean, come on. So, I mean, I get that that you take some of these things into consideration, but it just seems to me that the past, that a couple of these MVP races, past few, have taken away winning or haven't emphasized winning in terms of getting this award. Now, Giannis has made it simpler when he won his back-to-back MVPs, he was the best player in the NBA and also had the number one record in the NBA. So that helps. Some people ask when, when, when you try to enter Devin Booker into this conversation, 
is he even the best player on the Phoenix Suns team? I think he is. Chris Paul is definitely a huge part of that Phoenix Suns team, but Devin Booker has taken that leap. He's He can now average 30 points a game when he wants. I think it helps that he has a nice, just a really brilliant coach in Monty Williams, and they've got really good pieces all around this team in DeAndre Ayton. They've got Cameron Payne coming off the bench. I can't think of uh, the, the small forward right now from Villanova that's, I believe, in his second or third year with the team. But yeah, Chris Paul is a big reason that this team is winning. I don't think he is the best player on this team anymore. Maybe two years ago or a year ago, but not anymore. I believe Devin Booker is the best player on this team. And they're the number one team in the NBA by a wide margin over the Memphis Grizzlies with 52 wins, who in their own right are a fantastic story with John Morant. And, and John Morant is, doesn't even be, shouldn't even start the conversation with Memphis Grizzlies. But still, Memphis at 52 wins. But the NBA or the, the Phoenix Suns have clinched the NBA's best record with 61 wins, and there's still seven or eight games still to go. They are up nine games on the second best team in the NBA. And Devin Booker hasn't even been talked about in the top five of MVP conversations. I think he should be at least in the top five, probably in the top three. And I just don't understand how the Phoenix Suns aren't in those conversations. This is a finals team from a year ago. They're repeating what they're doing this year, and they have the NBA's best record. And I think they're it's, they're not going to cruise through the playoffs, but I think they have a very, very, very good shot of making it back to the finals this year. I mean, it's not going to be the Lakers that challenge them in the Western Conference. I mean, right now, Steph Curry... In the Golden State Warriors, Steph Curry is hurt right there. I mean, how much do you trust a young Memphis team? Denver is always one of those teams. They're, they're sixth right now in the NBA standings. The Clippers, Kawhi Leonard hasn't played at all this year. Paul George has played minimal games this year. I mean, right now, their number one challenger to me is Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks. And Luka hasn't made it out of the first round yet. So, I mean, I just don't understand the lack of narrative that has been surrounding these Phoenix Suns as they are clearly the best team in the NBA right now. Record-wise, anything you want to talk about, I mean, they're on an eight-game winning streak right now. They're 9-1 and one in their last 10 games. I don't know. I don't understand why. But that's what I wanted to start off today was talking about the Phoenix Suns, putting Devin Booker, trying to get Devin Booker's name into this MVP conversation where it should be. For some reason, it's not. It took finally a nationally televised game where Devin Booker had to go out and score 49 50 points for them to talk about it for a half a day not even half a day why isn't he in the MVP conversation then belittle why he isn't in the MVP conversation and then just move back on to the Brooklyn Nets and Los Angeles Lakers who why do we care they're not going to be relevant come playoff time and we are now in the playoff stretch you can talk about the Lakers and Nets as disappointments in the offseason let's talk about the teams that have a chance at winning the NBA tournament right now another team that has been absolutely scorching hot the Boston Celtics who I believe on January 11th I think it was that date they were in either 10th or 11th place in the Eastern Conference as of today March 28th they are in first place in the Eastern Conference that's an incredible turnaround I mean, Jason Tatum, their star player, has been scorching hot and is averaging 27 points per game on the season. The rest of the Celtics are following suit. 
Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, Robert Williams, who just went down with a sprained knee, I believe, so that could be issues for him. But, I mean, they got a first-year head coach since Brad Stevens went into a management role. I mean, the Celtics, with this kind of turnaround, the question is, can they be the favorites in the East over the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks? I mean, Milwaukee is starting to figure it out right now, but Boston has been doing absolutely fantastic over their last, like, 30 games. They're 24-4 in in their past 28 games and are outscoring these teams by 16 points per game. I mean, oh, so it was they were in 10th place, and now two months later they're tied for the best record in the Eastern Conference, and they own the tiebreaker, which is what puts them over the top in the number one seed in the East. I mean, can they contend with the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks in the playoffs? I mean, that would be a fun second round, hopefully Eastern Conference finals matchup between these two teams. I mean, the Bucks are starting to put it together. Brooke Lopez is back. He's playing. He, I think he played the first game of the season, then went down with a back injury, and he just returned maybe a week and a half ago or something. So they got their starting center back. They got guys like Pat Connaughton and George Hill back in the lineup as well. They also added a guy, Javon Carter, from the Brooklyn Nets around the trade deadline, who has been a nice addition to them as well. So, I mean, they've got their big three in Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, Giannis Tenekumpo, of course. Those When those three play together, they are... One of the, they are maybe the best team in basketball. I mean, you still got the Phoenix Suns and the, and the Celtics, but I mean, Milwaukee hasn't put those three together on the floor a ton this season. But when they are, they're a very hard team to stop. So, the Celtics, as hot as they are, we've we've seen them get to the playoffs. We've seen them get to the Eastern Conference Finals, even with Jason Tate, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, and these guys losing to LeBron James. When will they be able to put it all together? Could this be the year? I mean, would you put the Bucks as the favorite in the East and the Celtics right below them? Would you put them on par with Milwaukee? It's still hard to drop down the defending champion Bucks with what you've seen from this year. It's not like they've taken a huge step back or anything with some of the injuries that they've had this season. I don't know. The, the Boston Celtics, though, I think it goes Milwaukee Bucks, Boston Celtics, just a hair below one another. I mean, Boston a hair below Milwaukee in this case for best team in the Eastern Conference. Here's a look at the rema- at the standings as where we stand right now, I believe. So 82 games. Looks like we've got about 7 or 8 games left for for each team. So we'll go through the standings 1 through 10 for each conference really quick for the East. Like I said, you got the Boston Celtics 47 and 28. They lead the East with Miami tied with them. So they're the number two seed. Boston owns the tiebreaker over them. Milwaukee and Philadelphia at the three and four seeds. They're both only just a half a game behind Boston and Miami for that number one seed. This is going to be an incredible way race excuse me, to see who gets home court advantage throughout the Eastern Conference playoffs between those four seeds right there. Boston, Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia. Those are your top four seeds. Then you've got Chicago and Toronto at five and six. Then in the play-in tournament for the Eastern Conference, you got the Cleveland Cavaliers, the Charlotte Hornets, Brooklyn Nets at 9, and the Atlanta Hawks at 10. Brooklyn still hasn't seen Ben Simmons on the floor. Kyrie Irving now gets to play in home games. The only games that it looks like he won't be able to play in are if they have to play Toronto because I don't believe Canada is allowing unvaccinated players to travel into the country and then play indoors 
in those stadiums. So those are your top 10 seeds in the Eastern Conference. Boston, Miami, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, Chicago, Toronto, Cleveland, Charlotte, Brooklyn, Atlanta. Those are your top 10 seeds in the Eastern Conference. Looks like it's going to stay around those 10 teams because the next team at 11 is the New York Knicks, but they're about five games behind the 10 seed Atlanta Hawks. Then in the Western Conference, we already talked about the Phoenix Suns, who I think national media should talk about a little bit more. But anyways, they are the number one seed at 61 and 14, nine games ahead of the second seed in the Memphis Grizzlies at 52 and 23. Then the third seed, you've got the Golden State Warriors, Dallas Mavericks at four, Utah Jazz at five, Denver Nuggets at six. Then the play-in tournament for the Western Conference. You got the seven seed, Minnesota Timberwolves, eight seed, Los Angeles Clippers, nine seed, New Orleans Pelicans. Without Zion Williamson, I don't believe he's played really at all this season. And then you got the 10 seed, Los Angeles Lakers. They have one game up on the 11th seed, San Antonio Spurs. They are one game away from not making it into the playoffs. They have been missing Anthony Davis for a long while. LeBron James just had to score, I think, 39, 40 points in a losing effort to the New Orleans Pelicans and hurt his ankle in that game and is doubtful to play in the next game against the Dallas Mavericks as well. So the Lakers are literally this close to missing the playoffs. But that is your NBA standings as where we stand right now, the 10 teams from both conferences that are currently in the playoffs. All right. Next thing I want to talk about fairly quickly here is the MLB opening day is 10 days away. This is great. I mean, just a little over a week, it, it, it reminds me of how close it seemed that baseball possibly wasn't even going to be starting until May with the lockout that they had this offseason. 99-day lockout, longer lockout than Tom Brady's first retirement from the NFL. I mean, Brady's retirement was 40 days. MLB lockout was 99 days. Either way, one thing that I really want to show is a big discrepancy in the spending that some of these teams do in the MLB compared to what some of the other teams do. And it's what the players really wanted to fix with what these owners do in baseball. And it, I don't know if it kicks in next offseason and they just tried to get this season going as fast as they could or what. But this is something that really just opened my eyes. So here is a chart of 2022 free agency spending. This was from maybe like a week and a half ago now. But we got the top five teams and how much they spent this offseason. And then we've got the top, the bottom five teams and how much they spent this offseason. So the top five teams, Texas Rangers, they spent over $580 million this offseason. Because remember, MLB contracts, they're fully guaranteed doesn't mean that they're paying $580 million this season to these players. This is just so they signed two guys in Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon, shortstop and second baseman these two guys play. Corey Seager got around, I believe, a 10-year, $325 million deal, and Marcus Simeon got around a 7-year, $130 million deal. Either way, it do, this doesn't mean they're, the, the $580 million is not what they're spending this upcoming year. It's what they have agreed to just this offseason, $580 million, around 500 of it going just to these two players eventually. Because remember, like I said, these contracts are fully guaranteed. So the Texas Rangers, $580 million spent this offseason. Los Angeles Dodgers, 266, closer to $300 million spent this offseason. 
The New York Mets spent $258 million. The Detroit Tigers spent $235 million, and the Philadelphia Phillies spent $204 million. Those are their top five spending teams in free agency this offseason. Remember, not just the 2022 year. That's just what they've agreed to with these huge contracts. Here's your bottom five spending teams in 2022 free agency. Milwaukee Brewers, $12.9 million. Baltimore Orioles, $7.9 million. Cincinnati Reds, $5.5 million. Cleveland Guardians, $900,000. And the Oakland Athletics recently just spent on a minimum contract, but it used to be zero. You see how big of a difference that is between the Texas Rangers, $580 million, and the Oakland Athletics, zero. I mean, they did just sign someone to a minimum deal recently so it's a little bit above zero but that's a huge discrepancy between what these teams are spending and that is something that the players want to change because obviously they want at least these teams to have to spend a minimum of 50 million 60 million 80 million something like that so that all these players are able to get paid the way that they're supposed to and the way that the MLB is set up is these players don't get paid until later in their careers with arbitration in baseball and these these short-term deal or these long-term deals and, and stuff like that. So that's something that baseball, the players union, I believe, wanted changed and just seeing this discrepancy in these spending habits for teams, these big market teams like the New York Yankees, the Los Angeles Dodgers, always paying for these big market free agents, and these lower-level teams like Oakland, always, always near the bottom of spending. Cleveland, Baltimore, Cincinnati, these guys are always near the bottom. Pittsburgh is another one that's usually near the bottom. These teams that hardly spend any money, and then you got these teams that spend a ton of money, it's just what some, it's just something that the players really wanted to address, and I'm not sure if it was finalized or if it was addressed in any sort of way in this past negotiation process. But we'll see in the years to come because they did finally, of course, end the lockout with a new deal between the players and the owners. And I'm, I'm on the player side with this. I mean, not a lot of these baseball owners aren't necessarily baseball fans, so they don't necessarily care and don't want to spend as much money on their team some of these times which isn't good for the sport of baseball but we'll see how it but this is but this is what i'm talking about between these huge discrepancies in in spending and something that the players want changed where some of these teams like the athletics the guardians the cincinnati reds the baltimore orioles even the brewers they need them to spend a little bit more for it to work out for the players so everybody can get the contracts that they deserve all right some of the major offseason moves in baseball, some new faces in new places, or say, similar faces in new places, that's the term that they like to use, that you'll see on opening day. Freddie Freeman, the longtime Atlanta Braves superstar, kind of the face of that franchise for a long time. He moves to the Los Angeles Dodgers, part of their big spending spree. Max Scherzer, pitcher for the Dodgers last year, he's a big-time Arm. He's been with a couple of teams. He's won a couple Cy Youngs as well. He goes to the New York Mets. Carlos Correa, maybe the biggest free agent this offseason. He goes to the Minnesota Twins. Javier Baez, former Chicago Cub. He's going to the Detroit Tigers. 
I mentioned Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. They are going to the Texas Rangers, shortstop and second baseman. Like I said, those are the two guys that account for $500 million of that $580 million spent by the Texas Rangers this offseason. Trevor Story, big-time shortstop. He's going to the Boston Red Sox. Matt Olson, one of those guys from the Oakland Athletics that is a really good player, traded away to the Atlanta Braves, so now Oakland can just restart this process, the Billy Bean Moneyball. They restart this process. They get these good guys. They go for it. They spend a little bit of money, but they, they're all about development. Matt Olson was one of these guys. They didn't quite make it with Matt Olson. Matt Chapman is another one that was traded to the Blue Jays. When these guys don't pan out and they don't make it, they just trade them and they restart this whole money ball thing over again, spending little to no money, and they're just using their prospects. So Matt Olson, a big-time first baseman, he's traded to the Atlanta Braves to replace Freddie Freeman leaving for the Dodgers. And a few other notables as well, but these are kind of some of the big-time free agents and moves that were made this offseason. All right, the final four is set for the NCAA March Madness Tournament, and it's all Blue Bloods, these big-time programs after a crazy journey of getting there, but it comes back to these major programs making the final four. Here are your four teams. Number one seed, Kansas, will face number two seed, Villanova, in the final four, and then on the other side of the bracket, it'll be number two seed, Duke versus number 8 seed, North Carolina. The crazy thing about this, Duke-North Carolina, this is obviously a rivalry between the two franchises, between the two programs that has gone on for years and decades. This is the first time that Duke and UNC will face off in the tournament ever. And it just happens to be Coach K's last season, of course, right? I mean, you couldn't have written it any better. This is what the NCAA loves. They had their upsets earlier on. And part of that, and they had their Cinderella run this year. And that year, this year's Cinderella was number 15, St. Peter's. I mean, they became the first team ranked between 13 and 16 in those seedings of 13 and 16 to make it to the Elite Eight. An incredible journey to watch. I mean, they were a fifth seed, so 13 to 16 and a 15 seed became the first one to make it all the way to the Elite Eight. A true Cinderella that nobody saw coming. Except them, I believe, and that's great for the program going forward. That was a lot of fun to watch. I was absolutely rooting for them to make it to the Final Four. But here we are with a true blue blood Final Four of Kansas, Villanova, Duke, North Carolina. What was it? Last year it was Gonzaga versus Baylor. I believe Villanova was in the Final Four last year as well. They won Final or Villanova was the champion, what, 2017 and 2019 as well. So they have another chance to add a third championship. Jay Wright and Villanova. Kansas back in the Final Four. Duke, I mean, Coach K's final season. He's got five championships. This is his 13th Final Four, most all time. He passed, I believe, Dean Smith. He was tied with Dean Smith at 12 Final Fours, and he passed him, getting to his 13th Final Four. He has over 100, I think he's up to 101 NCAA tournament wins, which is the most all-time. I mean, my new prediction, I mean, Duke, Duke's going to win it all, right? I mean, it's been written in the stars for Coach K and Duke all year long. I'm not sure how we didn't see this one coming. I mean, this, was a, this is a big duh moment for us, isn't it? I mean, how does it not end with Coach K holding up the trophy, cutting down the net? It just makes sense. It's gonna, he's going to win his sixth which I hate. 
I don't hate Coach K. I respect Coach K. I respect greatness, no doubt, but I just hate Duke. And it has nothing to do with me being a Wisconsin fan. It actually has everything to do with me being a Wisconsin fan. But it just seems like it's written in the stars at this point, doesn't it? Coach K winning his sixth national championship and his last season of coaching. I believe he's close to 40 years of coaching right now. I mean, my goodness. That's my new prediction is Duke's going to win it all and Coach K is going to ride off into the sunset. I knew, I know Dan Katz, big cat from Barstool, is doing everything in his power to make sure that it doesn't happen. And as a fellow Wisconsin alumni with him, I'm, I'm hoping he's right, but it just seems like it's just going to end that way. <laughs> but those are your final four teams left in the NCAA bracket. The final four, those games are played this upcoming, what is it, Saturday? Yeah, they're played this Saturday, and then the final is played on Monday, I believe. Oh, boy. I cannot believe Coach K is about to cut down the Nets for his sixth championship on his way out. All right. Final thought, then, today on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Last week, this is just a bad bad week for the salary cap in the NFL isn't real, folks. And I'm sure I used to be a part of this because, like I teased at the beginning of this episode, Kansas City Chiefs last week traded away all-pro wide receiver Tyreek Hill to Miami Dolphins for a first-round pick this year, the 29th overall pick, a second and fourth-round picks in 2022 as well, and then a couple of late 2023 picks also for Tyreek Hill, who then became the number one paid wide receiver just a couple days after Devontae Adams was traded from the Packers to the Raiders, and the same thing happened for him. Tyreek Hill then went to the Chiefs and said, hey, I want to be the number one paid wide receiver in the NFL. Chiefs said, no can do. Patrick Mahomes' salary cap is going up this year from around like $13 million, which is really low for a quarterback like Patrick Mahomes, of course, all the way up to around $36 million. So he signs. You remember when Patrick Mahomes, was it two years ago, he signed the 10-year $450 million contract extension and everyone's like oh my gosh and it was so team friendly well that, that that's starting to catch up with the Chiefs now and then you see what happens when teams like you have these all pro quarterbacks the Packers they can't I mean they, they these teams they, they're able to do it but it just puts them in such a bind and when you're able to get off of a contract like that sometimes and get compensation like the Packers and the Chiefs did in these first round picks teams will most likely do it and we've seen that now if the salary crap wasn't real then they would have been like oh yeah no problem we can easily make you the number one paid wide receiver oh you want to be number one next year yeah we got it obviously can't happen when you have to fit all these contracts that's why you see teams with first round quarterbacks on those cheap five-year deals go for it so quickly the buffalo bills are doing that right now they signed Josh Allen to a long seven-year contract. His cap hit is low for the first two, three years, along with that five years that he had on his rookie deal. The Los Angeles Chargers are the next team up trying to do that. With Justin Herbert, obviously we saw them sign J.C. Jackson the corner, trade for Khalil Mack. They've got young players on this team, and they have a really good young quarterback, and now is the time to go for it with a young quarterback you can pay all these other players, they re-signed Mike Williams, a wide receiver to $20 million per year. That's what the Miami Dolphins are banking on by trading for Tyreek Hill. They're going to have the number one paid wide receiver. They're going to try and load this team up with talent. 
and then they're going to see what their young quarterback in Tua Tagovailoa is made of. Can he lead them to the playoffs, deep into the playoffs, with a loaded roster? That's what teams are trying to do, and that's what the salary cap kind of, it's it's supposed to just parity across the entire league. That's why MLB, I, I just mentioned it before, there's no salary cap in baseball. That's why you see some of these teams at the bottom in spending and then constantly at the bottom of the standings. Pittsburgh, Cincinnati, some years they'll be able, there's a spike where they can jump up into playoff contention. But year after year, who are the teams you see come vying for the World Series? The Dodgers, the Yankees, the Red Sox. I mean, now the Astros are, are one of those teams that are, are vying. It's the teams that spend in baseball, where in football, there's a cap, there's a minimum. That's how it works in base in, in football, excuse me. And it's it just shows why two of the best teams in football just traded away their number one weapons. They wouldn't want to if they didn't have to. So I mean, where does this leave the Packers and Chiefs now without top five wide receivers in the NFL? Chiefs just signed away Marquez Valdez Scantling as well. So they have another speed option. But now it's it's back to young talent that you can have for controllable five years, four years. Hopefully they can help right away. We've seen it recently with young wide receivers. Justin Jefferson, Jamar Chase, A.J. Brown, D.K. Metcalf, guys like that that are immediate contributors to the team. That's what the Packers and Chiefs now have to hope for with such expensive quarterbacks. It's got to be through the draft with this young talent that you can hopefully just infuse and then plug in, and then hopefully they can be major contributors right away i'm not expecting the packers and chiefs to get a jamar chase a justin jefferson right away but if they do all the better for them because that's what they're banking on trying to get to improve their teams but bad week for a salary cap in the nfl isn't real when you see two top five wide receivers traded away from two top three quarterbacks i mean the the pairing of Devonte adams and aaron Rodgers, unbelievable and then you had the pairing of Patrick Mahomes and Tyreek Hill, just the combos that you had with top five wide receivers, top five, top three quarterbacks, and now you just have to split that up. You, a team doesn't want to do that. You've seen the success that they've had, and obviously the salary cap comes in and is a real issue. So that's kind of uh, where it's left the Packers and Chiefs, and we'll see how they fill out their wide receiver rooms going forward until the draft and then after the draft and then as the season approaches. All right. My quick final, final thought then on this episode, USA Soccer, one game away from some securing their spot in the World Cup. They play Costa Rica Wednesday, March 30th, and as long as they don't lose by six goals, they will be heading to the World Cup. This is nothing to scoff at with six goals, the differential that they have to make the World Cup, because if you remember 2017-2018 World Cup, the same exact thing happened to the U.S., and they missed out on the World Cup. It was incredibly disappointing. I mean, don't take this lightly. The six-goal differential that they have, I, I'm sure the team isn't. I'm hoping they're not. I'm sure they'll be ready. And hopefully when you watch this game on Wednesday, you better be watching. I mean, this is going to be like this is one of the biggest games until the World Cup starts. Hopefully they just don't go out and play to not lose by six goals. Hopefully they go out and play for the win. That's obviously the best case scenario. If they don't win, that's okay. We have this differential, but go out and play to win. 
that would be the most that would just make all fans much more comfortable watching that game instead of could this happen could it happen again not something we even want to think about watching the game we just want to watch the game in excitement looking ahead for the 2022 world club as it world cup excuse me as it draws closer very exciting wednesday is the day we find out and we watch hopefully they make themselves they get themselves to the world cup all right that's all i have for you on this episode of the final final podcast thanks for tuning in next episode hopefully i will be able to dive in more to the nfl draft i'm getting excited as it gets closer what are we about actually we're almost exactly a month away from the nfl i think we are exactly one month away from the nfl draft start first round yeah thursday april 28th is when the draft begins so we are exactly one month away right now in next episode is when I'll start to dive deeper. We'll look at some teams and their needs and some of these top prospects that we can expect to go in the first round. All right. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Stay safe out there. And as always, you are listening to The Final Final.